It's time to study the Bible together. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians with me as we return to our study of this book by the Apostle Paul. Colossians, it is found, by the way, on page 1166 of the Bible that's underneath a lot of chairs, if you don't have a Bible of your own, 1166. I'd like to read for you Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. That's our text for the morning. Listen carefully, please, as I read God's holy word. Paul the Apostle says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everybody with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling, with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord. It was July 1939. He was just 33 years old, and he had a brilliant career ahead of him. He was a renowned scholar, theologian, and writer. He had studied in Europe And in New York City, he had pastored churches in Spain and in London. His writings were known the world over. After Hitler and the Nazis came to power in 1933, he had become an outspoken critic of the government's persecution of the Jews. He joined forces with the Confessing Church of Germany, advocating open resistance to the Nazis. He helped hundreds of Jews escape Germany. He encouraged fellow pastors to speak out against Hitler. In 1938, he had been banned from Berlin. Later, he would be forbidden to speak in public. But now, in the summer of 1939, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was back in America, away from the turmoil in Germany, safely tucked away at Union Theological Seminary where he had been hired to teach courses just one month before. Here he was, New York City, free to speak for God, free to serve God. Here he could write and speak out against German injustice without fear of reprisal and stir up international outrage against Hitler. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer did something very unusual. He changed his mind. He said, I've changed my mind. I don't want the job. After just one month of being here in America, he went back home to Germany to suffer and, if necessary, to die, along with his fellow members of the resistance movement. And sure enough, six years later, April 9th, 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged by the Nazis in a German concentration camp. 
Why did he do that? Why did he do it? Why did he give it all up and go back to Germany where he'd already been persecuted and where he would most certainly face more and worse consequences? Why? Well, I think it's because Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew something that we often forget. And that is that the Christian life, by definition, is a life of suffering. Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew that we are called, as Paul says here in verse 24 that I read, that we are called to fill up in our flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. As Bonhoeffer himself put it, suffering is the cost of discipleship. So I want to talk with you all today about gospel-centered suffering. But let me tell you up front that the suffering that I'm going to be talking about this morning is not the kind that you may be thinking about. It's not the kind of suffering that happens to all of us simply because we live here in a broken world. You know what I'm talking about. All of us from time to time have to suffer the effects of our fallen condition. We get sick. Uh, What have we been suffering, all of us, the last few weeks? The economic ups and downs of a market that we have no idea where it's going to go. That's the kind of suffering that we always ought to talk about, and the Bible definitely addresses it. And I'll preach more sermons about that kind of suffering some other time. But the kind of suffering I want to talk about today is what Bonhoeffer himself called Christian suffering. It's the suffering that we choose because we love Christ and we love other people. It's the suffering that we invite into our lives, the suffering that we deliberately embrace for the benefit of other people. That's the kind that Paul's talking about when he says in verse 24, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Christian suffering is a kind of suffering that we say yes to for the benefit of other people. And so that's what I want to talk about, Christian suffering. Three things I'd like us to learn out of this text this morning. First is simply that we as Christians are called to suffer for others. Second, why we're called to suffer for others. And finally, I'll add a few practical applications about how we are to suffer well. How we are to suffer well. So let's dive in. First of all, the fact is... If you are a Christian this morning, if you have said yes to Christ, if you've admitted to Him that you're broken and flawed and sinful and need Him to be your Savior, your friend, your leader in life, and you want to be in His family, if that describes you, the Bible says that you are called by God to suffer on behalf of other people. Look at verse 24 of our text where Paul says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking. We're going to get to this in a little while. But notice that he's saying, I choose, I'm actively moving toward a kind of suffering that fills up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, Paul here is talking about deliberately choosing inconvenience over comfort. 
intentionally sacrificing your time, your money, your energy, your plans, indeed your life, in order to be of a blessing to other people. Now, it may seem very strange to our modern American ears to think that there's a kind of suffering that we ought to invite into our lives. After all, for most of us, what is life all about? Life is about finding ways to conserve energy. Life is all about finding ways of avoiding pain. I mean, we're surrounded by things that make our lives easier, that make work easier, that make us more comfortable. And so why should we choose to suffer? Very odd way of looking at this subject. But not only that, we as Christians a lot of times hear the message that God wants to make our lives easier and more comfortable. I got a letter in the mail the other day that sort of epitomizes what I'm talking about. It's kind of a crude advertisement. Pastors get these type of junk mail things all the time. But I had to stop and read it because it says up at the top, this letter brings some good news and help to you. Well, who could turn that down? So I read on. He says, do you need help? All capitals. Do you need to be loved? Are you troubled? Are you lonely? Do you need a continuous flow of money blessings? I want to mail you this golden cross of prosperity. And here's a crude picture of it on the back here. This is what I get. I've already written off for it. (laughs) He goes on to say, this cross is a beautiful piece of jewelry that can last a lifetime. You can wear it around your neck or just carry it with you. We have prayed over it, according to Matthew 18, 19, to help make you a Winner. Ah. A woman from Louisiana writes, Dear prayer family, I am so glad I found that card in my house and filled it out and mailed it in. I have been blessed. After I received my cross, it started. A man from California said, After I received the cross, God blessed me with $1,000.35. I wonder... I wonder why 35 cents had to be said there. And then the concluding little blurb is, folks are being blessed with good jobs, raises in pay, buying and selling property. God is answering prayers of all descriptions. Now, see, this is an exaggerated example of what I'm talking about. But everywhere we go, you step into a lot of Christian bookstores even, and you see the message, God is there in heaven. Just waiting. It's all about Him meeting your needs and making your life count and making things better for you and answering your prayers and solving your problems. You know, that type of teaching does nothing but set us up for disappointment because that's not the message of the Bible. A life of chosen suffering. I know it's a foreign concept to most of us, but Paul is telling us that that's our calling. It's the normal Christian life. The cross is not a symbol of prosperity. It's a symbol of sacrifice. Being a follower of Jesus is not about getting what you want and having a better life. It's about giving up your life. Jesus himself said in Luke 14, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, 
He cannot be my disciple. Now, we could talk, and we will some other day, about the fact that he doesn't literally, you know this, he doesn't literally mean you hate people. But he's saying that if you want to follow me, it's a life of picking your cross up and going where I've gone, walking the Calvary Road. Bonhoeffer himself said that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Paul says here in verse 29 of our text this morning, to this end I labor. See that word? I labor. He's saying to us to expect times when we are tired and weary to the point of our to the point of exhaustion because of our devotion to Christ and our commitment to other people. When Paul says in verse 29 again, I am struggling and says it again in chapter 2 verse 1, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea. It's the Greek word, that word struggling is the Greek word agonizomai. Do you hear the word agony built into that? He says, I'm agonizing. I'm in agony for you. I love you and my love and devotion for you means that I'm fighting for you and I'm contending for you and I'm weeping for you and I'm losing sleep over you. I'm suffering. See, you and I are called to suffer for the sake of his body, the body of Christ, which is the church. Now, why? That's our second question. Why are we called by God to this life of suffering for the sake of others? Why? Here's the answer. It's because the full quota of Christ's sufferings hasn't yet been reached. Now, think about that because that may be a statement you've never heard before. Colossians 1.24 is a verse you may have never heard preached on. I've never preached on it before. But if the question is, why are we called to a life of suffering? Paul says it is because the full quota of Christ's sufferings has not yet been reached. That's what he means when he says in verse 24, I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Now, I know that's a very puzzling thing for Paul the Apostle to say. The word lacking, it may trouble you. It certainly troubled me too when I was looking at this passage this week. It sounds like at first glance that Paul is saying that there's something missing from the sufferings of Jesus Christ. It sounds like Paul is suggesting that the atoning work of Christ on the cross was somehow incomplete that there's something that you and I need to do to finish it, right? That there's something you and I need to do if by our sufferings we can make it better or make it complete or something like that or add to it. No, no, that is not at all what Paul is saying here. Be assured that the work of Christ on the cross is a finished work. You and I contributed nothing to it to begin with and we never need to add anything to it in the future. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says that Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, to bring you to God. No, what Paul is talking about here in Colossians 1 is not what you might want to call Christ's redemptive sufferings. He's not talking about the atoning work of Christ on the cross when he says that you and I need to fill up something that's lacking. No, those redemptive sufferings were completed 100% on the cross. What Paul is referring to here is what we might call Jesus' 
missionary sufferings. Or the, the word Paul uses is the word afflictions. See, Paul deliberately chooses a different word when he's talking about these kinds of sufferings. He calls these the afflictions of Jesus. And here's what I'm, I'm thinking that I see in this verse. It means that when Jesus died on the cross, his redemptive sufferings came to an end. But his missionary sufferings, his afflictions, were just beginning. In other words, Jesus has been suffering since the day he rose from the dead and he will continue to suffer until he comes back through us, the church, through you. He has been suffering sleepless nights and long, hard, painful days through us. He has shed tears and been persecuted and wrestled in prayer and walked through the heartaches and trials of people and even been martyred through us ever since he ascended into heaven. 2 Corinthians 1.5. You might want to jot that reference down. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says it a little differently where Paul says there that the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives. The sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives. So every day, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're filling up what's lacking, what was not complete here on earth by Jesus because he's got more suffering to do until the day he returns through you, through me, through us, through his church. And then one day when the full quota of Christ's afflictions have been supplied, he will return And then the church will no longer be the suffering church. We will be the triumphant church. But until that day, the Christian life is like the dictionary. Cross comes before crown. See, when you suffer for being a Christian, when you are persecuted or rejected or belittled or patronized because you are a Christian, when you give until it hurts for the cause of Christ, you are participating in the very afflictions of Jesus. The sufferings of Christ are flowing out, overflowing into your life. So that's why you and I are called to suffer. We've seen that we're called to suffer for others. We've seen why. Now, finally, how? How are we to suffer well? How are we to suffer Christian suffering well? Let me offer you three things that I hope you can take away with you this morning. First, be joyful as you suffer. Be joyful as you suffer. Look with me again at verse 24. Paul says, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Literally, what Paul is saying here is, I rejoice as I'm suffering. See, Paul is not saying that you and I are supposed to look at the junk that we suffer and say, oh, I love that junk called suffering. No, he's not a masochist. He's not naive. He knows how hard it is. He knows how gut-wrenching it is to suffer. He's not saying, I rejoice in the suffering itself. He's saying, I'm rejoicing as I suffer. While I'm suffering, I'm joyful. Now, why can you be joyful as you suffer? Two reasons. Because suffering makes you better and suffering makes others better. First, you can be joyful in suffering because it makes you better. Many of you have already found this out. 
Philippians 3.10 is a verse I really hope you can remember. Philippians 3.10. Paul in that verse says this. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Becoming like Him. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to enjoy the power of His resurrection. And I even want to know the fellowship or the participation of sharing in His sufferings. Why? So that I can know Christ better and be more like Him. Becoming like Jesus. Can you imagine any experience better than that on earth than becoming like Jesus? Becoming more loving toward others? More content? More holy? less worried, less self-absorbed, less greedy. See, that's what suffering will do for you. It will make you more like Jesus. But second, your suffering also makes others better. Not only do you get better through your suffering, but you help others too. Paul says in verse 28 of our passage, he says, We proclaim Christ. We admonish. We teach so that... Notice this, we may present everyone perfect in Christ. That's the goal of Paul's suffering, so that we can present everyone perfect, that is complete, finished, mature, so that we can present everybody better. That's why Paul wants to suffer. Parents, isn't it so that one of the greatest joys you can have in life is the joy of knowing that your suffering during the years of child rearing will actually make those children better? And isn't it one of your highest pleasures? Some of you have been there already and you've been thanked or you've seen it work. I know a lot of you are still in the trenches. Take heart. Keep going. Keep suffering. Keep child rearing. Keep at it because you're making them better. I hope you don't mind if I indulge a little bit on that point. My wife and I got an email a couple of weeks ago from our oldest child, Rebecca. And in this email, I think I saw a little crystallization of what I'm talking about, that when you go through suffering, you might not see it right then and there, but one day, God willing, you will see that it makes people better. And that's what this email kind of helped us see. Our daughter, Rebecca, has three children. One of them is named Eben, the middle boy, Eben. I've told you about him before. That's what the email's all about. She says, so this morning, Eben was dancing around as though he had to go to the bathroom. And I said, do you need to go to the bathroom? I think you should go. And he said, no, but quickly ran to the bathroom. And as he went to the bathroom, he yelled out, you were right. And I thought, this is, this is Rebecca writing. She says, and I thought, wow, I bet I won't hear that too much. <laughs> but it's nice to hear, she says. And then she goes on. Anyway, all that led me to say, you were right. She says, I don't even have a specific thing to say that about, but I figured now as a parent that it might be nice for you to hear in many ways, I see now that you both were right. Things like what TV shows were okay to watch, when to set a curfew, etc., were good choices that you made. 
And even if you got grief about it from me back then, now I will admit you were right. I'm sure you knew I now felt this way, but I thought it might be nice for you to hear. And then she finishes the email with, I love you both. Thanks for being great then and now. Oh, man. That just makes it all worthwhile. Mom, Dad, one day you'll get an email like that. Or if you don't, and if you haven't, you'll hear Jesus say, well done. You were right. See, what I'm trying to say to you is that suffering, it's hard, it stinks. But it not only makes you better, it makes others better. So be joyful. Second thing, second application. Not only be joyful as you suffer, let me just say this real quick. Be dependent. I'm running out of time. Be dependent as you suffer. Be dependent. Paul says in verse 29, notice this verse, To this end I labor, struggling with all His energy, which so powerfully works in me. See, be dependent on God and His energy. Could I just put it in your ear to think about this? How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? See, being a praying person is how you depend on God's energy. So be dependent as you suffer. Third and finally, not only be joyful, not only be dependent, but believe the gospel as you suffer. Believe the gospel as you suffer. Look at verse 27 and notice the phrase in that verse, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul calls that a mystery. By that he means that it was something previously hidden but now revealed. You and I would not call that a mystery. You know what you and I would call it? We would call it the gospel. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that though you are woefully flawed Though you are sinful, more sinful than you ever dared imagine, you are also more loved and more accepted than you ever could pretend to think. Even though you were by nature a rebel and a lawbreaker and terribly flawed, God went out in pursuit of you. Jesus Christ left heaven, came to earth, became a baby in a manger, grew up, lived a perfect life, the perfect life you should have lived, died on the cross, died the death you and I deserve to die. And at the uh, and then He rose again. He rose again, ascended to heaven, sent forth His Holy Spirit who took up our hearts as His home. And so that now we can say and we can know that Jesus Christ satisfied the justice demands of His Father. On your behalf, His suffering, His atoning work paid fully for the debt of sin that you owed God. And you had to do nothing for it except believe it. Admit that it was true that you were a sinful person. Admit that you needed His grace. And all you had to do is just do that. He gave you His love. He gave you His forgiveness. He came in and made your heart His home. In short, the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's free. It is totally free. You didn't have to suffer in order to earn it. Jesus Christ suffered for you to have it. So that now you have the privilege of choosing to suffer 
on behalf of others out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for you. Do you get the gospel? Do you get the gospel? Believe the gospel as you suffer. It'll take you back to the cross where you can see how Jesus has suffered for you. And that will give you such motive, such power, such energy to suffer on behalf of others. In a few moments, we're coming to the table. A symbol of death in many ways. Not only the death of Jesus, but your death. Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he says, come and die. It's a table of death. But it's not just that. It's also a table that represents life, forgiveness, hope, joy, a new start. We all need that, don't we? So let's prepare our hearts with prayer. Bow with me. Our Father, thank you so much that you sent Jesus, your son, that you're a suffering God. Thank you, Jesus, that you suffered for us. Thank you that you're a suffering Savior. Spirit of God, thank you that you came for us, a suffering church. Fully equip us, Spirit of God, to move out from here today ready to suffer on behalf of others, to fill up in our own bodies the part that's lacking from the afflictions of Christ. Help us to do that, Lord, joyfully, dependently, and believing the gospel as we do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.